Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and it is my privilege today to be able to share God's Word with you. I am Brother Roger, one of the pastors here on staff at Holland Chapel, and today we are going to be continuing in our Advent series, The Coming of a Savior. Today we will be considering the promise of a Savior. Last week, Todd introduced us to this series and presented us with the tremendous need that mankind has for a Savior. And we're going to be looking in Genesis, the third chapter this morning. If you'd like to be turning there, we'll be reading in just a couple of moments. But Todd's message about our need for a Savior and his emphasis of the magnitude of that, how big the need was. A big need demands a big solution. I'd like to ask you this morning for a little personal, uh, perhaps, relation to the concept or the idea of a promise. As you think back through your life, do you have a particular time, a particular event, a particular promise? that either was made to you or that you were looking forward to and anticipating. That at some point, something tremendously important to you, something very special for you, perhaps it was something there was a tremendous need in your life and In some way, somebody had given you hope, a promise that they could find a solution or furnish a solution for you in that. What we're going to be looking at this morning is mankind's solution to the greatest problem. The biggest issue that any human being ever faces, and that is of the circumstances of their sin and their relationship with God. As we read in the scriptures, a couple of things that uh, we see, New Testament and Old Testament, references words that we probably are very familiar with, but we may not be as familiar with the definition of those words or what those words or what those names actually mean. But as we read in the Old Testament, many times I'm sure you've heard passages of Scripture and heard preachers speak and make reference to the Messiah. The word Messiah from the Hebrew, the definition in that word is inclusive of a promise and the fulfilling of a promise. And so the the reference to the Messiah is a promise that is given in reference to a particular individual that would be coming. In the New Testament, we see the title as we think of it. Some of us think of it as Jesus' second name. But... The title Christ, or Christos in the Greek, is very similar to the Messiah in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, in that that word tells us that there is a promise and there is a promised one. 
that God has made a promise. And we're going to look into that this morning. Man's tremendous need for a Savior is met and fulfilled by God's fulfilling of His promise to take care of man's needs. And so we see in the Scripture where God promises a Savior. If we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, we are told there, and you're familiar with the story, Adam and Eve in the creation that God had made where there is perfection and there is harmony and there is no problems. And Adam and Eve walk in fellowship with God in the garden until an event, a day. Whenever at the temptation and the misleading of Satan to Eve, Eve violated the instruction of God and gave to her husband and told Adam and he likewise violated God's instruction and sinned. That big problem became a reality for mankind. You see, Lucifer, the devil, Satan, he was already wrapped up in all of that because he was already in opposition against God. And it wasn't enough for him to do what he had previously done. It was his intent to destroy and to bring down all of God's creation and to bring its focus on him rather than the creator God. And so we see in the Garden of Eden, and we know the story of the fall, but yet, even in that moment, even on that day, God promised a Savior. He promised a solution. In Genesis, the third chapter, we're going to pick up here where the Lord is speaking to uh, Lucifer and to Eve and to Adam after the violation of God's instruction. In the 13th verse, it says, Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals and you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel This passage of scripture, and in particular the 15th verse, is referred to as the first messianic prophecy. The first time that we recognize in the scripture where God made a reference in the form of what he was going to do that was going to provide a solution for sin. Now in this particular verse and in this text, we see as the Lord is speaking to Lucifer or to Satan who has taken on the form of a serpent. And as we look at the story, or we may think of it even as the, the picture that is given here of, 
of this that Lucifer in the form of a serpent and how the Lord speaks to him as a serpent. And in this, uh, this picture that we see here, for, uh, for those of us that have grown up out in the country and are somewhat familiar with snakes, we know how to kill a snake, right? We know what is required to kill a snake. You can, you can whip a snake all day long if you don't get up on that snake's head. But whenever you strike a blow, whenever you get to the head of the serpent, the snake, that is, that's the action that can disable and bring an end to his existence and to the trouble that he is causing you. We see in this text where the Lord uses this and we're going to see that that is also throughout the scripture that reference is made back to this passage in regards to God's conquering sin and conquering Satan. Because as Satan is recognized in this text as the serpent, the Lord says that it is going to be the seed of the woman. It's going to be that which Satan has used to bring down God's perfection that God is going to use to conquer sin's destruction. And so the promise that we see here is that through woman, through uh, even through Eve, that the solution to sin will come and this is the promise that God has made. Is that Lucifer, you will not be successful in this. You will not accomplish what you intended to do. You will not rob mankind of a relationship with me. And you will not rob God of a relationship with his people who he has created that they would fellowship and worship together and know perfection. So God says, and I believe that Eve and Adam both are hearing this conversation as well because we see in the immediate verses the Lord continues in this conversation as he talks to each of them. But they were, we might say, witnesses to the promise. Isn't that so appropriate? In their brokenness, in their loss, in having realized, you see, you and I have never known perfection. <laughs> We've known innocence, and that's as close as we have come to perfection. But even in the losing of our innocence through the recognition of the curse and the damage and the destruction of sin, we can see and understand here that God gave Adam and Eve the hope. Of a promise that he would redeem, that he would restore, that he would rescue, that he would save them from what they had experienced in this fall. So we see in this text the illustration, the picture that is given how God would use the seed of woman. And we know through other passages of Scripture the reference that we have. That this is a reference we see later in the Scripture of the virgin birth. 
and how that Christ would be born of a virgin. He would not have an earthly father or the seed of an earthly father, but the seed that God would use would be that of woman and of the Holy Spirit bringing about that conception. But it would not be without pain. Because the serpent, Satan, he would bruise the heel. He would cause pain. He would cause agony. He would cause injury. But he would not bring about death. He would not bring about the destruction for God's promise. Because God's promise was that he would deliver victory. In this promise that we see in this passage of Scripture, we might think, well, you know, Brother Roger, I don't know that I'm, I'm exactly seeing the promise there in regards to the Scripture, but the Scripture refers to this. I've already made reference to the Gospel's reference of the virgin birth. But also Paul wrote concerning this in his letter to the Romans. Whenever he told the Roman people that the victory that believers have over sin is through the work of Jesus Christ and his crushing of Satan. And also the writer of Hebrews gave reference to the victory and the defeat that would come by the promise of God because Jesus, our great high priest, will destroy that serpent, will destroy the one who has brought opposition against God's plan. And so this messianic, first messianic promise, this first promise of a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, is seen even in the garden at the time of the fall. And so the scriptures tell us that in God's mind and in God's wisdom and understanding that Jesus Christ stood as the lamb from the foundations or the casting down in the creation. That God had a purpose and a plan to bring redemption and salvation. Now, in our culture and in our world today, when we hear, I asked you earlier about a promise because I wanted to plant that thought for your promise. You know, one of the things that we experience so often in life here on earth is that our promise never is fulfilled or that promise is broken. And you may have experienced that in life. And because of our culture and because of what we see around us, the concept, the idea, the word promise has lost a lot of its value. It has lost a lot of its luster when we look at the biblical example of promise. Because you see, we know the carnal, worldly example of promise. We know the broken promises. We know those vows that were not kept, those that were broken. We know those promises that were never fulfilled. We know that assurance that there will always be a place here at this company for you until there's not. 
We know and understand the disappointment of something said to us, something vowed to us, something promised to us that disappeared, that faded away, that we were robbed of, that was stolen from us, and we did not receive that promise. Let me tell you something. That's not a promise that God made. Because God's promise is sure. God's word is certain. As absolute as the breath of God uttered forth and a sound came from the lips of God, His word, His promise is sure. In our culture of carnality, where promises are broken, when the expectation of our leaders and our politicians is that they lie because that's what's expected of them, and they're not going to do what they said they were going to do because no one expects them to. In a world, in a culture, where we cannot find a promise, God gives us a promise promise that is sure and it's absolute and so as the Lord spoke as the Lord gave this testimony we might even think of it as as the Lord giving this vow of what he would do we need to recognize that this is God speaking This is absolute. This is certain. This is sure. You see, I think that when we we understand and when we grasp the person of God and who He is and the absolute certainty of His Word, we realize that the word promise only has to be used in order to help us understand the certainty of it. Because from God's position... And from God's culture, whenever He speaks, it is true. And that cannot change and will not change. And He cannot change and will not change. And the scripture says that He cannot lie because He only speaks truth. And a promise is just another way to reassure or to emphasize to us That God has spoken and He has said that He is going to do something. So look forward to it and get ready for it. We have the biblical testimony of God making a promise of a Savior in this text and in this verse. But we recognize also that God has made a promise to individual men, specific groups of people. And so as we read through the scriptures, and if you have your, uh, your Bible marker with your reading verses on it uh, that, uh, that gives you the weekly readings or for our Advent readings this week, I would just encourage you to take note of that because in each one of those Daily readings, there's a particular verse that is going to have reference to God's promise that He made to men. And you will be able to also see how that is applicable to you. But you see, in these scripture readings, God made promises to different individuals. 
And I think what we see in that in our generation, as we are looking at history, we see that God has never forgotten what he said. God has never forgotten the promise. God has repeatedly over and over and over again, he has told different individuals at different times in history, I'm going to do this. I am preparing to do this. And so we've seen in the garden how God made the promise. We see in Genesis chapter 12 how God spoke to Abram. And God said to him, said, Abram, if you'll leave the land that you're in and you'll go to a place that I'll show you, I'm going to do some amazing things through you. And I'm going to fulfill the promise through you. We see in, the, in the Genesis, the 49th chapter, how Jacob spoke to his son Judah and gave him the promise that the, the, that the fulfillment of God's promise would come through his lineage and through his family. We see in Deuteronomy how the promise was given to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, that they would have a place and that that place would be an important part of the Savior of the world coming to save mankind. We see God's promise to David and how he told David that through your lineage, your kingdom or your throne will never diminish, but that it will be eternal because the promise is going to be fulfilled through you. So God made a promise and that promise was to men or to people. God's still doing that today. You see, God not only promises to people, but he also promises through people. And so we see as each one of these individuals and each one of these verses and many others that we find in the scripture, God fulfilling his kingdom plan, using men as his vessels to accomplish his work, those that are willing to hear and to follow God. We see in the Garden of Eden, we know of Adam and Eve receiving for garments the skins, the sacrificial skins. We see of Abraham and how he entered into that land that God led him to. And he was told that all men would be blessed through his lineage and by him. We see in Judah a tribe, a people that are identified as the descendancy and the lineage from which the Savior would come. And we are assured of these same things. We see Israel as a nation and we see David's throne as the throne of authority. And that the scepter would never be removed from Judah, from Israel. And the Psalms proclaims to everyone that all of this is true. Why? Because God the Creator has spoken. And He has said these things are certain. So you see the promise is not just to those individuals or other individuals in the Scripture. And the promise is not just to these people that they would be used and that they would be a part of the kingdom work. But the promise is to T-O-O you it's to you as an individual and as a fellowship of people that God's promise of salvation and deliverance is for you as an individual 
It is for you to be an example. It is through you to reach other people. And even as we think of the, the work of the church that God has given us to do, the followers of Jesus, we understand that we are vessels of the Lord being used for His kingdom to carry the promise to the next generation and to the peoples of the world that haven't heard it. And so when the scriptures talk about Abraham or Zacchaeus, the Philippian jailer, the thief on the cross, Saul of Tarsus, Cornelius' house, you can put your name on the list. And you can say that the promise is mine too. The promise is also for me. The promise is for all men. And this is the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He assured those that were listening on that day that God had made a promise. In Acts, the second chapter, he said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus. He identifies who the promise is through and who the fulfillment of that promise would be. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all who call on the name of the Lord. You see, God's promise of a, a Savior, God's promise of salvation given to us, given to each one of us. And so we claim the promise. We experience the promise. By faith in Jesus Christ and by accepting Him and by looking to Him. When Paul wrote the Galatian church, he told them that this is the thing that motivates us and that keeps us going in the difficulties of life and circumstances of life. In Paul's Galatian letter, he made reference to all that belong to Christ are heirs of the promise that God has given. I'm going to ask our worship team to be coming, if you would, as I'm closing my thoughts this morning. God has provided a promise of salvation and a Savior. That promise and the identification of God's salvation is seen in His Son, Jesus Christ. And God sent Him to this world. And He came and He became what the Father desired Him to be in order that we might have salvation and forgiveness and that we might know the promise. And then, having fulfilled His work here, He left. But before He left, he gave us a promise as our Savior, as our Deliverer, as our Rescuer. 
He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. Peter told the believers of his day. He said, in keeping with his promise, in keeping with the promise that the Lord has made to us, we look forward to new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. You see, the promise is yours if you'll claim it. God's made it. The Savior has delivered it. The work has been done. The victory is won. But the promise has only begun. Father, thank you. Thank you. Praise you for Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. God bless you. Amen.